property constructionist, this is Maggie, the host of our podcast, where we'll collectively share our stories and experiences of leaving high control religion, along with what it's been like for us to find new practices that help us feel good and confident in ourselves. I hope that hearing these stories reminds you that your deconstruction is valid, and most of all, that you are not alone on this journey. You are good, you are loved, and you are worthy, just as you are. Hello, deconstructionists. My guest today is Stacy Schultz. Stacy is a recovering fundamentalist holding space for themselves and others working to reclaim themselves from what religion taught them. They are a massage therapist and Rosen Method bodywork practitioner. Stacy holds space for people who feel othered, especially queer folks, people who have undergone top surgery, and people working to heal from religious harm. Thank you for being here, Stacy. Thanks, Maggie. Glad to be here. Yeah, I was just saying before we hit record that um, I heard your episode on Carrie Fillion's podcast, um, which is your friend, the therapist pod, and I loved it and was so inspired by you. So I'm happy to have you here and have a little conversation with you for you to share your story with some new listeners too. So I'm having people start with just a little bit about their church experience. We have a little bit of background about your religious upbringing. Yeah, um, so my church experience, like I grew up in the Midwest, so church was just kind of something we did. Like you just went to church on Sunday, you went to Bible class on um, Wednesday nights. Um, I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church, um, similar to Lutheran, but different. Um, and I also say I'm a product of public education. I went to public school K through 12 and um, uh, college and grad school onwards. It's all public education. So for me, it's interesting that I became so involved in church because I'm starting to understand um, that church was a way that I, church helped me cope with the world. Mm. And Jesus was kind of like my friend through all of that. He was like my invisible friend. And um, I'm beginning now to see the impacts of all of that. So like I said, I grew up in the Reformed Church. In college, I went to the Evangelical Free Church, and they were in the middle of a building campaign and like lived through all of that stuff. Um, and then eventually I got involved with a Baptist church, which ordained women. So that was somehow cool because I'd never seen a woman in the pulpit before until I walked into that church. Um, and I actually ended up being a missionary. And I also have gone um, about halfway through seminary as well. So I I like to say I was in it to win it. Like I just kept, I was just like, I was just in it. And then suddenly I was out of it. Um, and it's now I'm just beginning to find the language to describe that experience. Um, and part of my motivation in being on and talking with you is just to let other people know they're not alone. Because I think that was so much of my experience. I'm like, I don't know how to describe this. My friends who are in church don't understand me. My friends who've never gone to church don't understand what's going on. And it was like just this really confusing place to be. Yeah. I know we talk a lot about like you leave the church and you know you're not part of it anymore, but then you also don't really know where you fit after that. And, you know, you don't really fit in with the world outside of it either because we haven't ever really been part of it. Um, so yeah, it can be really isolating. We spend a lot of time in the deconstruction community, which I think is good and helpful and healthy, but we spend a lot of time talking about the harmful parts of church, but I think it can be helpful sometimes too to recognize the things that were good about it. And I'm wondering, you know, you said church and Jesus was sort of a way that helped you or something that helped you deal with the world being in public education. And I feel that a lot too. Like I was a kid with things Anxiety, and I think there was a, a comfort in Jesus and the Bible verses that I had running through my head. Uh, but do you want to speak about the um, the good parts that came from church too? Because I'm sure we'll touch on the bad, but what were some of the good parts for you? 
Yeah, the good parts, um, well, like community, I think that's what gets talked about a lot when people leave is like this community, like you never have a sense of community like that again, per se. It might be a weirdly enmeshed community mm-hmm. um, in some regards, but, you know, like people were just there to support you if something was going on or, you know, the holidays or celebrations or, and something I've reflected on too is music. Like I was able to sing in the choir. I was able to play piano, which also brought up anxiety for me. Don't like sitting in front of people playing instrument uh, or also going like up in front and reading the scripture. Like, you know, like somehow you were the cool person to go up there and um, do that and stare, you know, stare down at a congregation of 300 people. Um, I'm like, yeah, like I said, like friendships. And like for me too, there was the overlap. Like growing up, it was like my friends at church were also in the same school system that I was too. So you, you just see each other um, throughout the week and day. Yeah. And um, like ritual too, or just like, you know, like, yeah, just like a ritual in some ways too, of certain expectations and behaviors. Yeah. I know the ritual is a really comforting part of church that I think a lot of people really miss when they leave. I'm curious, I'm sure we'll talk in a little bit about some new ways that, that you found ritual and, yeah, found something after that. But um, what are some other core beliefs and and maybe some things that stuck with you in a in a way that haven't turned out to be as healthy? But what are some core beliefs that you kind of internalized that really stuck with you from the church that have maybe felt more harmful? I don't know if this is necessarily a core belief, but it's just like the shame and guilt, like the external shame and guilt that was placed. I mean, like never enough, mm-hmm. you're never going to get there or just keep trying harder. Um, like those two things. And that's a, it's a mind meld. It's mm-hmm. something to work through too. Um, yeah, but I still believe in love. Like that I think is my biggest driving force and that has changed to like how I look at it and view other people as well. Yeah. How did, how has some of that shame played out in your life? If you want to share and if you don't, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's just that thing of like, am I doing the right thing? Is this it's like enough is this enough and that's like the church thing like I always felt like when you're the sinner you're always the sinner Mm -hmm. like if things went bad it was somehow my fault um and it's like relearning that thing of like oh this isn't my fault this is just how the world functions and this is how this is what healthy relationships look like this is where boundaries are needed this is where I get to uh, say this is important to me or this you offended me and to like stand my own ground and to feel um confident in doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are some of the reasons that, or what are some of the things that led you to deconstruct or some of the reasons that you ended up kind of shifting your beliefs? It's funny. It just kind of, it kind of happened. It was weird. Like it wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't something I was looking for per se. Um, I feel like it was, I was always questioning things. Like even when I was little, of like, mm, this doesn't always add up. But then people would be like, oh, you just need to trust more. You need to have more faith. You need to. And I feel like that voice was always there and it just got bigger and louder. And suddenly I had the resources to be like, oh, actually, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. And this is the reason why. Um, And like I said, I had worked at a church, um, which also impacts how you show up in the world and live in the world. And um, and so uh, I actually went to, I got accepted to grad school and it's when I went to grad school that I like moved away from the church that I was involved with. And I went to a church near my grad school for the first time there. And when I went and I went one time and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. 
and that was kind of it. And it just kind of sat there and I didn't, and this was over, this was over 10 years ago already. And I just didn't, again, I didn't have the words. And now that I'm, the words are out there, I'm just like, wow, this is actually what happened. And there's still stuff that I need to process through. Yeah. And the impacts. How did you know in the moment like this, this isn't for me, this isn't something that I want to do? Like what, what told you that in your mind or your body or? Like it was both. Like it was just this thing of like, I suddenly just knew. And this church that I'd gone to, it was, um, it was like a church plant again. So it was like meeting in like a communal area and they were doing the fundraising thing. And like, it was like this building, like that was it too, like this building a community and like, oh, you should lead a small group. Oh, you should be involved in the small group. And I was like, I just, I don't want to do any of this. That was kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are some beliefs that you've let go of from your time in the church? And what does that look like for you to let go of those? It's it's hard because when you're living through something, like you don't realize what you've let go of per se, because it's kind of like a gradual transition in some ways. Um, I will say for me, the biggest transition has been just in my own life and um, just other people is my understanding of the LGBTQ community um, and that we're all human and we're not sinners and like and all of that. It's now a community that I identify as part of and that I think has been the biggest beautiful thing is just to see love expressed in so many different ways um, without expectations and mm-hmm. judgments. Yeah, we were really taught that this community was bad in some way and sinful and unhealthy, and it was just so othered from you know who we were supposed to be. And you know, there's so many of us in the deconstruction community that identify as queer now, and it's it's like this is not a this is not a bad place to be. This is a beautiful, wonderful space to be in. And um, yeah, I think that was I think that was a big piece of it for a lot of people was the way that we were supposed to view or treat LGBTQ people. Um, and it just really doesn't doesn't sit right with us as loving people. Yeah, and there's like there's two other nuances too that are coming up for me. Like like people who are assigned female at birth, like we're supposed to show up a certain way. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to like supposed to in quotes like have children, like do all these things. And if you don't, and if you're not showing up in that way, like all of this, and it's just again, it's just circled back to like being comfortable with who I am, and also not needing to have to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not even needing necessarily like a label. Um, I think, you know, we've, we lived in a label for so long, like thinking about, you know, we're Christians, we're this kind of denomination or we're non-denominational, um, whatever it is, it was full of a lot of labels, um, that told people something about us. And so to be able to move away from that, whether it's with, you know, queer identity or gender identity, or even like your beliefs, are you Christian, atheist, agnostic, um, just to be able to move away from that and kind of live in the live in the gray um has been really relieving for me and you know, you're nodding your head so I think maybe you too yeah. um I like to call it the rainbow sparkle zone instead of gray <laughs> gray just seems so like mundane still you know like I'm just like we get to create this like what an op- opportunity like I like that let's, yeah let's use all the stuff we have and like cr- you know create the lives we want or like yeah so I kind of think of it as like finger painting like just picking all the things and mushing it together and Hopefully it doesn't turn into a big blob in the middle. I like that. It's a little better than the gray. You know, we have black and yeah. white, but we also have all these beautiful colors in between. Yeah. yeah. That's such a um, a more dynamic way of looking at it. I really like that. 
Um, what have been some of the hardest parts for you in shifting away from your religious beliefs? Well, one hard part was just like loss of community and also not taking the burden of explaining it to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I'll share that just happened pretty, like pretty recently, it was within this calendar year is the pastor, the pastor of the church that I had worked at retired and he had sent me a message inviting me to his retirement party in celebration. Um, and I really had to sit with that because um, I made the decision to, to write him an email. And there's three words in that email that would change things. And I knew this. And the three words were, I am queer. And I sent that to him, not knowing, I mean, knowing, but not knowing what the response was going to be. And it came back and it was just like, well, we love you. But then there was this like five paragraph explanation of like, these gay people they've interacted with and all this, but it didn't affirm who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made the decision, this um, too, I want to get like clear for people, like you don't have to do things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I made the decision to not go to the retirement celebration, which for me was a big deal. And also because I didn't want to show up in a place where people still thought I was a certain way. And I didn't want to have to explain to them who I was, which I know I don't have to do. Um, but later on, I made the decision to go visit the pastor and his family and like just the, just the group of us, a small group of us, just to have a conversation because it was the closure that I needed. Mm-hmm. And it was also really, it was also really hard, but it also was so empowering. And it also kind of functioned on the timeline that I needed it to um, in my own journey, which again, is like this empowerment that I never thought was possible being involved in church and suddenly it was. And my, like to give voice to my experience and to walk away and said, okay, this this relationship has now changed and that's it's hard and it's also okay. Mm-hmm. How do you feel after having, well, first of all, let me back up. I'm sorry that that happened. That's, um, I, I think... Something that a lot of people have experienced, but it doesn't make it any less hard that, you know, there are people in the world and people that were important to you that didn't, um, that didn't just accept you for who you are or felt like they needed to explain some other part of you. And so I'm sorry for that. And to you and every other queer person out there, I will remind you that you are good and you are loved and you are worthy just as you are. Um, and yeah, thinking about, the conversation that you had with this pastor after that, do you feel like it gave you the closure that you, that you wanted? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's what I was looking for. I think for me, it was just to have a conversation with someone that had so much impact in my life. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times it's really hard to have those types of conversations or it's easier to send the email or just to not say anything at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have such a hard time with ugh, with um, leadership and church and what to do with that. And do I want to reach out? Do I want to say something? Do I not want to? And it's really, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I think it's, you know, it's different for every person and each relationship that you had um, and what feels what feels right. Um, but this is a really nice example of of reaching out and having some closure and like being true to yourself and doing what you felt like you needed. And I really, yeah, I really love that. So thank you for sharing.
What have been some of the greatest rewards for you in leaving or in, in shifting your beliefs? I shouldn't say leaving. Just like being authentic to myself. Um, I will say too, I reflected a lot. Like I mentioned briefly, like I was a missionary. I lived in Kenya for two and a half years. And um, that was an experience. It was more of a social justice thing. Like I was involved with building houses, um, not evangelizing Mm -hmm. per se, but building houses. And that was an experience which forever altered my life because like just water, like running water is something I will ever forever be grateful for. And uh, like we can drink water out of faucets here. And um, it just uh, it framed my worldview on how I view things and how to be compassionate and empathetic to other people. Um, and it, I think, is also what started the trajectory of, like, where I am now. Like, I have worked as a massage therapist and a Rosen Method person. Like, I have supported people in hospice, um, people with medical diagnoses, people in cancer treatment, um, working with people with top surgery. And I'm realizing it's, like, it's all these people that are othered by society in so many ways. And now I can just meet people and, like, just meet them for who they are. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, they can show up as themselves. And I, you know, I try my best to create a sense of safety, but it's up to the client to choose, you know, if it's a safe environment for them. But it's been the most beautiful and rewarding thing is to be authentic. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit more about your time in Kenya, I'd love to hear more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also curious how that impacted your work as a massage therapist or a bodywork practitioner and mm. yeah, how those kind of play together. Uh, Kenya. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not American culture. I'll just put it that way. And I saw the impacts of colonialism because um, Kenya was colonized by the British. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a British school system. They speak English, like their court systems, like all of that. Um, and also my skin color. Like I am a Caucasian person and I was living in an African culture. And that brings up numerous things about if you fit in or don't fit in. Um, and one of the experiences I remember, it was just, it always makes me laugh. It was like I worked with these women's self-help groups and they were trying to come up with ways to raise funds for their houses. And this, normally they would like grow grass, like grass and things that they'd sell for like people for their cows to eat. And things like that but this woman they were selling homebrew so they were making their own beer and selling it and like of course, they were like this christian organization and i just thought that was um like it just it still makes me laugh because i'm like these women are doing what they need to do to get something that they really want and i'm like this i don't know i was just like they were using their resources and it's just always made me think i'm like am i using my resources am i expecting too much or like what is actually available to me right now in the moment Um, And it's also there, I just learned like joy at a different level and also like grief and death and how those cultures, like it's just a different process of like when people die. And yeah, again, it just, it shaped who I was. And when I came back, um, I actually went to grad school to do humanitarian emergencies and have degrees in doing that and intended to like go overseas and respond to disasters and things like that. And Life kind of changed in a 180, and I ended up in massage therapy school. And I've been a massage therapist now for 14 years. Yeah, wow. Can you talk a little bit about your work as a massage therapist? I was saying, you know, before we started recording, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, bodies are still a little scary to me. Um, and so, yeah, I just love that you do this work, and you just embrace the physical parts of ourselves fully. I love that. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more. 
Yeah, so like my massage career started out when a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer and no one would touch her. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so I started going to massage school part-time at night and I was working in a corporate job at the time during the day. The economy changed. I lost my job. I went to massage school full-time and like, here we are. But um, again, it's just, it's, it was about like meeting people where they need to be met. And we live in a culture that doesn't really do that and doesn't really slow down. Um, and Rosen Method, which most people don't know what it is, it's um, it's a bodywork modality. I call it witness meditation. Like it's hands-on work. You're looking for where the breath is in the body, where there's tension in the body. Um, and through these years of working with clients, there was like always this like underlying thing that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And then the clients like. Um, like, especially like if women had been sexually abused, there was always the shame that was coming up. Like it was somehow their fault if they wouldn't have been there, if they wouldn't have. And then, the, then the church layer would come in. Well, I grew up in church or I grew up and then I was like, and it, for me, it be- became really interesting. And I started asking colleagues, I'm like, have any of you encountered, like, the, I call it like the religious layer and no one understood what I was talking about until um, I actually took a, like Google must have read my mind one day and I found out about Reclamation Collective and they have this training. And that's when like, I finally learned the language about like deconstructing, about religious abuse, religious trauma, like these things actually exist. And I started exploring that in my Rosen work with clients because they were coming in with like rapture anxiety. Ah. They didn't know that's what it was. Right. But like, I don't like the title of that book per se so much, like the body keeps the score. So like we can go to talk therapy and we can talk and can rationalize, but the body also remembers. And it's the work that I do is a way to let the bodies be met and to let the trauma or whatever it is come out and be met and not judged. And that has been beautiful. And especially with those that have been, I say like impacted by religion, because sometimes we just don't have the words to describe what has happened to us because yeah. it just happened over such a continuous amount of time. And yeah, when you were starting to see this in your clients, had you, where were you in your deconstruction? Like I hadn't been in, like I said, I hadn't been in church for like years. Um, and I didn't even know the word deconstructing. I just like, I just wasn't quote doing church anymore, going to church anymore. And then like what these, like there was just these like jabs about church stuff. Like they were on this healing path, but then it would shut down because of church stuff. And I'm like, there is something to this. And that is, so probably for like the last five-ish years now, like I've gotten more vocal about religious trauma um, too, because people hear the word trauma and it's like, oh, well, it wasn't trauma. It wasn't, and I'm like, well, kind of, you know, and just, so that's been, that's definitely one of my big speaking platforms too. It's just Yeah. We'll say this loud and clear for, for listeners. Religious trauma is trauma and yes. yeah, and, and you can get help for it. <laughs> Through talk therapy, yeah. through in numerous ways, in numerous ways, yeah. yeah, numerous ways, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious in your own your own journey out of religion. Have you felt a lot of the the harm? I know, I know you talked a little bit about um, these kinds of feeling of feelings of shame, but have you had to process a lot of harm in the ways that you've seen your clients have to process it, or do you feel like it lived in your body the same way or in a similar way? Yeah, uh, yes and no. Like, because I work with other like people who are also in different denominations or like like LDS or um, 
Jehovah Witnesses or things like that. They're Pentecostals. So like each each type has like a different flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like my difference was like some people where it's like it was like family driven too. Like there was guilt like within the home too. Like parents expected certain things of their children. Like with church stuff as well. Um, that's not so much part of my story. I think a lot of it was just the way that I internalized it. Um, and it's like relearning it. It's like reparenting that inner child as they talk about. So sometimes my inner kid's pretty little and needs a lot of just like, we don't have words for this and that's okay. So Yeah, I think yeah. we're all we're all on a journey to to take care of our inner child a little more. But um I was saying in a in a previous episode, I think with um I think with Carrie Fillion actually that yeah, it takes a lot of work to take care of our inner child and and we want to just be like oh we'll we'll you know give her a little hug but um but yeah it takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of care and um so yeah good job doing that and especially good job yeah, to everyone out there doing that it's it's hard work especially too like when that little kid like this is what I think about when you're asking about church stuff when that little kid was told about like hell and stuff from like three or four years old like there's repercussions to that absolutely and fear yeah. that like again like lives in the body and so I think that's part of my stuff too yeah. like I feel like I'm gonna get in trouble and I don't understand why yeah does for me when I think about like getting in trouble or being bad or what that looks like the ultimate kind of ending of that is like well you go to hell um and yeah I'm wondering I'm wondering if that feels the same for you and now you're like well I don't hmm (laughs) moment of pause yeah it's like but I don't believe in hell but like it still comes up (laughs) comes up in your body that like but that is the ultimate punishment for being for being bad or for not not being good or um Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a lot, a lot to work through, and it's not just something that you can turn off, even if logically you know it's not true or it's not, it's not the way that you learned it, but it lives deep in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm curious, what are some ways that you have reclaimed yourself, and maybe we could start first with your body, since you do so much work with your body. What are some ways that you've kind of reclaimed your body for yourself since leaving religion? Hmm, that's a good question, actually. It's like the guilt, not guilt. It's just funny. It's like, hmm, do I, am I in touch with my body? It's kind of weird to admit that. It was like, you know, because sometimes you work in a profession and you're like, well, people have these expectations. Um, I think I am just embracing like joy in my body and like movement and dance. And um, like, I really just like going to like live music performances too and just being in a crowd of people it's like a bigger type of, you know, like a body of people to you to like, so I can move my own body and not have to think or talk, but just to like experience and have those, like have those moments, which, yeah, like that is going back, like that is something I do miss from church is like the praise and worship stuff because you're in this, you know, unanimous type of environment. And um, so, yeah, and like different types of like exercise activities or just like trying new things like to just to push myself in ways of like, well, I've never done that before. And it's like, well, I'll just go try it anyway. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I love going to concerts and being in this. I love that like a bigger body of people um, kind of being in the music together and I'm a musician. So I, I love like the music part of that too. And I feel, I feel lucky that as a musician, music isn't something that I I do miss it from the church, but I feel like I have it in other places because it's also, you know, my line of work. But yeah, I think music and being together with people is something that the church actually did 
really well, even if it wasn't always healthy. And it's something that a lot of us miss. And so it's nice if we can find ways to still enjoy that outside of the church. Um, Do you have a favorite band or concert that you like to go to? Um, There's a local group. They're called Wookie Foot. I've really been into. And yeah, it's just, yep, just crowds of people and dancing. That's that's what it is right now. I know in some of your work, you talk about kind of late bloomer, queer people and what that's what that's like to come out sort of later in life. Do you want to speak a little bit to that? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, this is for late bloomer. What does that mean exactly? So I'm just going to claim it. I'm 45 years old. Um, and when I was in college, it's hard. It's, hmm, it's been a very fun, robust filled life. Um, but when I was in college, like Google didn't exist. We still had computer labs and you had to ask Jeeves. That was like an online thing you would search. Um, and so like when I've been in different support groups, there's definitely this thing between, I don't know, like people maybe like mid thirties older to mid thirties younger. There's just like this weird, because again, I didn't have the language. I didn't have a, like a community around me that showed a different lifestyle. Like I just, grew, you know, grew up with many heterosexual people around me and, you know, like all of all of those things. Um, and, and now that again, there's like more language coming out. It's like, Oh, well, this is who I am. Or this is how my body responds when suddenly this type of person walks into a room and like, what is going on? Um, and to like find community to work through that. Cause I feel like, for, I don't want to say like, like an older person, but sometimes it's like, where do you find that community? And sometimes it is asking like the 30 year old, like, Hey, can you explain this to me? Or like, I don't get it. And, they're like really accepting. That's the part that's been really cool too, is like they're accepting and they're like, oh, um, and it's like, it's learning from each other. And uh, yeah, too, like I've used the term late blooming too. And there's just like, part of me is like, oh, I should have had this figured out sooner, but there was no way I could have. There's just no way I could have. And so this is, it's where I am. And it's just embracing that too. And so if anyone's listening to you, just like in, embrace who you are and find support and ask questions of people. Yeah. I wish I could have figured that out sooner, I think is a line that we that we all say about a lot of different things, whether it's finding who you are as a queer person or finding who you are in other ways or leaving the church. I know I say it a lot about leaving the church. I wish I had figured it out sooner. Um but it just takes time, you know. It takes time, and it's okay that it yeah. that it takes time, yeah. and we'll we'll get there when we need to. Mm-hmm. Something that I was really inspired by by you about was this kind of changing of celebrating holidays. Is that something that you'd like to speak to a little bit? Kind of overtaking holidays by the church, or maybe ways that you've sort of reclaimed these more ancient holidays, and what that's looked like for you. Yeah. So my undergrad degree was in geography, physical geography and earth science. So I've always been like a nerd for like, like the earth and like the earth has these amazing cycles, which like some of us know about and some of us don't like just even like weather patterns and like all of these things. Um, And the, the earth also just goes around this orbit around the sun and that's what causes our seasons. And for me, it's just, it's really, it's just straightforward, right? It's like you have autumn, especially like here in the Midwest, you definitely, we definitely have four very distinct seasons. And in the last few years, solstice has really just appealed to me because, um, so solstice is at the, um, towards the end of December and it's like the longest 
night in the northern hemisphere it's the longest night of darkness um and i just feel like that's it's so symbolic because the nat or the earth is just doing its thing and historically like other cultures have acknowledged that in some ways um and the church actually kind of piggybacked on solstice which is one of the reasons christmas is what it is um so there's like St. John's Day, which happens before solstice. So John the Baptist like foretold of Jesus's birth. And so Christmas, December 25th is after because it's when the light is returning. And I was like, ooh, that's sneaky, <laughs> right? But, uh, um, but it's just, um, it's given me pause, like solstice, like there's two solstices a year. So in summer, it's like the longest day of light. Um, and then there's the two equinoxes. So you have like 12, 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark. And um, so I have like just little gatherings at my house with friends and it's become a way just to mark and celebrate the passings of the passing of the seasons and just to set intentions based kind of on like where the earth is. It's like now this time of year, it's dark. Like we're, we're supposed to be wintering and resting and, and all these things are like, how do we embrace that? And what does that look like? Um, and that's just been really, it's been really beautiful for me. And um, another thing too, is just following the cycles of the moon. Cause again, it's like the 29 day cycle. It's just this gentle nudge for me of like, where are you right now? Like, where are you in the time space continuum of all of us here on this planet? And uh, it just like, there's a tree I go check on. Like when I go on a walk, I always walk past this one tree and it's just a reminder too, like right now the tree's barren, it's lost all of its leaves and there's frost in its bark. And, you know, in the spring, it'll start blooming again. And it's just, it's just kept me grounded to nature and to the cycles and to not make it so complicated. I think sometimes we just try to make things really complicated. Yeah. I have always heard that the church kind of took these Christmas traditions from pagan rituals, but I didn't realize that they took the entire thing from pagan rituals until I started researching it a little bit more. And it was like, oh, like every single piece of Christmas, like even the idea of, you know, Jesus being born, the sun being born is like all of that stems back to something before Christianity and like Easter, like all of our holidays, our holidays yeah, in the yeah, Christian yeah. Um, Christian calendar really come from this. And, and it, that has helped me to kind of zoom out and see that really all of these are just a way of kind of marking the passing of time, which is, I think, a helpful thing for, for all of us as humans. You know, it's like a helpful way for us to kind of keep track of the moving of time and the moving of earth and um, – yeah, I think that's really beautiful. I love that you have gatherings to celebrate these these things. Um, I'd love to hear more about what those look like. I feel like it's a really nice way of having community outside of the church. So I'm curious about what those look like for you. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty recently moved to where I am now, like just in the last few years. So it's been part of like building community, like people I've met. And it's, I kind of joke about it, like in church style, like we have a potluck. <laughs> So bring your food. Um, so yeah, there's a potluck, um, and then we share we share a meal together, and then we do some type of ritual, um, like with candles or like stuff from the outdoors. Or sometimes we go outside and like, um, like have a little um, little burning thing that we may burn stuff in, or just it kind of again, it just depends on the season and where people are at. And definitely like this time of year, like just releasing stuff, like what are you wanting to release and let go of as, as we go into this, this new cycle of the light returning. Um, and again, it's not complicated. 
it's about just being in community and like so people aren't alone like just like be like you're not alone and it's funny too because a lot of people like come we're all introverts and so it's like okay the introverts we're getting together we don't have to talk much but let's do something so um and it's just been beautiful too to, to have people in my home and like an experience that we can all share together yeah i'm thinking too about the difference between this and the way that you can show up as your full self and your experience with um, the pastor that you talked about earlier and kind of feeling like you either had to hide some part of yourself or kind of confront him about this. And um, I don't know, just just to acknowledge what a difference that is and how beautiful it is that you can show up as your full self and have community that feels good for who you are. And I think that's mm, really, yeah. really important and beautiful. Yeah. Good reminder. I like to to end with um, some kind of encouragement for listeners, especially people who are feeling kind of stuck, maybe stuck in deconstruction or, you know, in the middle of the throes of it. And so do you have any any either words of encouragement or advice maybe for late blooming queer people or just people who kind of feel othered or anybody in, in their deconstruction experience? Hmm. I would say trust yourself like trust that deep inner knowing within yourself and if possible slow down enough to listen to that um and it's nothing that you have to explain to anybody else and the other thing i would say is go spend time in nature like just go lay on the ground somewhere or hug a tree um and it may sound cheesy but like tap into that wisdom too because that tree's been around a lot longer than we have. Um, but just it's like trust yourself and trust the process to you because sometimes it gets real it can get really confusing. And just know that, but keep trusting. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Um, if listeners want to connect with you or find out more about about what you do, where can they find you or reach out to you? Um, they can find me. There's two different ways. I'm on Instagram, so it's my name, Stacy.l.schultz on Instagram. And then that's also my website, stacylschultz.com. You can find out more about me and my business in Minneapolis. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, Stacy. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hello Deconstructionists. If you have any questions, comments, or parts of your own experience you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at hello.decons at gmail.com. And as always, you can find me over on Instagram at hello underscore deconstructionists, where together we are building community post-evangelicalism. Huge thank you to Amy Azera for writing the theme song for this podcast. And when this sweet little bop inevitably gets stuck in your head, I hope it reminds you of this wonderful community that's here with you. Thanks to all our guests for sharing these parts of their stories with us. And of course, to you for listening. See you next time. Gotta deconstruct. Oh.